outside. Jeff Smith, he didn't get there. Fumbles the football. Oklahoma takes over. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU podcast. And today's edition will not be a fan edition. It'll be podcast realignment because that's what everybody cares about is conference realignment. We haven't even really talked about the OU team that's supposed to try to win a national title uh, this coming season as fall camp is raring to start later this week in what seems like two or three weeks. So um, I thought, okay, the SEC talk is probably going to continue against my best wishes, and and that's all well and good. Uh, But at some point, we'll need to talk about the Sooners for 2021, but that will be at a little bit of a different time because, like I said at the top, this is podcast realignment. And that means I'm grabbing somebody else from another OU podcast. And it's someone who you are very familiar with, somebody who you probably listen to on his podcast that he does with Ryan Chapman and Josh Calloway from All Sooners, SI Sooners, Mr. John Hoover, also former co-host of the Inside OU podcast. And John, it's A, it's great to have you back on your podcast that you started with me. Uh, B, this is the second time we've had you back because I think we had you on preseason last year, right before the season started. And it's just A, it's awesome to have you back. And B, it's uh, it's incredible going back to that last podcast we did last year thinking, I don't even know if we're going to get games into the season or finish it off. I don't know what's going to happen. And now look where we are. OU's going to the SEC and OU's raring to win a national title. So, so much has changed. Yeah, Brady, a couple of things. First, thanks for having me on. You are, uh, you have the green light to call me anytime you need a podcast guest. I'm, I will try not to bore your readers and listeners to death by being on too much. Uh, and then secondly, the OU Insider podcast or the Inside OU podcast is something that you started and brought me on. Let's set the record straight. That was your brainchild. So I'm the idea uh, I, guy. I appreciate, you, I appreciate you kicking me into the podcast. <laughs> round. Yeah, I'm the idea guy, but nobody knew who Brady Trantham was. No one gave a damn who Brady Trantham was, but everybody knows John Hoover because you're the guy who, um, as a young Sooner fan myself, I always enjoyed reading because eh, that's the one guy that doesn't care what Bob thinks really. Like I'm going to hold you accountable. Like what's going on here? So um, it was, I mean, just from my little sooner fandom, it was just cool to do a podcast with you for an entire season. So I miss those days, but it's, it's, I do feel little pride in at least pretending or telling myself that, yeah, I got John Hoover into the podcast game. Now look at him. (laughs) You're just a regular millennial now. Right. SI Sooners podcast is where you'll find me uh, for now once a week. Um, but we're going to obviously when the season gets going again, we're going to go to a post game pod. So kind of a Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning pod. And then uh, our, our usual pod will be midweek Wednesday, uh, unless there's some kind of availability situation going on that preempts us, pushes us to Thursday. So yeah, we'll be podcasting a couple times a week as well. Awesome. And I guess in terms of how this season goes, before we get into the crux of this podcast uh, today, uh, as of right now, does everybody is everything seem like it should be close to normal in terms of the media relationship with uh, game day, or is that still kind of up in the air? You know what doesn't seem normal? I'll, I'll backtrack on you here for just a second. Uh, you had my nephew on your podcast this year before you had me. Oh yeah, mm. <laughs> it's a small Joker world. My nephew, yeah, Air Force, uh, Air Force badass. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I knew that prior and yeah. then he came on and I, it just completely slipped my mind. 
And now he you mentioned, mentioned me. I just listened to it this afternoon. He mentioned me on the podcast. He yes. said that my uncle's a big fan. My other uncle's in sports media, John Hoover. But I could tell you were preoccupied. You had your thought process focused on what your next question was going to be, like a true pro. Yeah, I I, uh, I completely forgot about that for some reason, like during the podcast. And then he said it, and I was like, I have to pretend like I already knew that 100. Like, yeah. I, I gotta yeah, like keep uh, gotta keep going. But it it he, is uh, that office that uh, that Operation Mildcat was hilarious i, I know about that. the best part was the theater owner coming out saying you can play over here 10 feet to the left that was awesome i know um man I, hopefully that hopefully stuff like that i wonder if stuff like that still happens i feel like that that is something from even in the early <laughs> 2000s the early 2000s especially now seems so quaint it still seems like yeah. kind of that's how the the old ways of college football like stuff like that would happen like stuff like that trying to happen now i feel like lawsuits and prison oh, yeah. time would be thrown all all over the place but oh yep. well see uh so he is uh he is in the air force and i'm not allowed i don't think because it's pretty high level stuff i'm not allowed to tell you exactly what he does he, he's teaching right now but the things that he's teaching like if i told you have to kill you kind of thing and that would go for yeah. all your listeners we can't have you know <laughs> mass you know homicide so uh let's just say uh some of the stuff that he does in the air force um pretty badass well i, uh, in, I was terms of, in terms of hunting down the bad guy pretty badass yeah well i, I really wasn't prepared for this to turn into the joe rogan podcast because now we're just going to talk <laughs> about aliens so he's working on alien technology as we speak that's <laughs> that's very comforting that's awesome i'm very excited but yeah again uh, some- i got another i got another uh insider for you an insider Ooh. little sliver into ou fandom okay this is a kid as he very eloquently um, elaborated on your podcast. He's been an OU fan pretty much all his life, five years old. Loved the Sooners, loved everything about the Sooners. Uh, Then it was like, you know, gosh, what am I going to do for college? You know, where where are we going to be able to get scholarships? And, and he had come down. We, I was over at his house with my sister. He's my sister's boy. So we were visiting and he had come down to Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. And he's like, gosh, which, which one should I go to? They're offering me more scholarship money. This is a better path for this. And I can study this over here. And I go, have you loved Oklahoma State your whole life? Or have you loved OU your whole life? And he looked at me and he goes, oh, my gosh, you're right. What am I thinking? <laughs> Immediately signed like with the, the, the scholarship papers with the Sooners or whatever, whatever the scenario was that night. I'm like, I have, I have influenced the minds of American yeah. youth. That's, That's great. I reminded yeah. him who, you know, forget about school, quote unquote, air coach, forget about your major, forget about your future. Where do you want to go to college? Oh, Where yeah. Do you want, he's like, oh, you every time. So that was, that was pretty great. Yeah. Now that's up there with the Earl Campbell story of I went to sleep wanting to go to OU and I woke up yeah. thinking, okay, I've got to go to Texas. And I don't know how much money was placed under uh, Earl Campbell's pillow that evening. I'm right. really, yeah. We'll never know that. But having said that, Stillwater is also, it's a fun college town. When you're 21, 22 years old, Stillwater is a, you can have a lot of fun there. I, I can, how many national titles did OSU play for between 2000 and 2004? Zero. Let me think. Let me count this up real quick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is he went during the salad days of Bob Stoops's tenure, and it was like oh, yeah. national right. championship, national championship appearance, uh, Rose Bowl, national championship appearance, national championship appearance. Like, bro, you don't get to do this every year. Y'all know, yeah, he actually does. He gets to go to every game every year. 
and go to the national championship game. It was a pretty amazing time for him. Yeah, again, I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 during that run, and it made it that much harder. Like, my perspective was so skewed as an OU fan. Like, OU was so good. They were in the national title game every year, but they just wouldn't win it, and it just felt like this isn't fair, but OU's still there. <laughs> but this isn't fair, and it was just this this thing that I'm still tackling with to this very day, John. So hopefully 2021 yields a little bit uh, a better uh, result, but – the big reason why I wanted you here, John, is because, well, obviously, long-time uh, media member covering the University of Oklahoma, like everybody knows, uh, you are definitely somebody whose opinion I feel holds more than its own weight in, in water. Um, anytime you talk about anything, OU football, I'm always listening. But uh, at the same time, you have, an, you have a perspective <clears throat> that – you know, obviously I respect, but you have a perspective that goes well beyond just the days that you were either around the program, whether you're watching them, following them, or even covering them. Like you have a deep understanding of the program's history and just how truly important and monumental a move like Oklahoma going to the SEC uh, truly is. And I'm sure people have written about this in one way, you know, or another indirectly, or maybe put a paragraph in a story of just how monumental this is, but haven't really heard it discussed. And I don't know if you know this, John, but a lot of people have trouble reading. So I thought maybe we should talk about this topic on the podcast format, but I just, I really want people to, to try and understand. And I'm still trying to understand. I don't have all the answers here, but I really want people to try to understand just how monumental this move is for Oklahoma to go to the SEC. And I've talked about it uh, last week with Peyton Guthrie on the fan edition that became a regular podcast. Talked about it with Keegan a few times already, just, you know, kind of abandoning a hundred years of history with the big eight, the uh, Missouri Valley conference opponents that became the big 12 going to the SEC. Um, but at the same time, Oklahoma has been, at the forefront, and you said this right before we started recording, at the forefront of so many monumental things, not just for OU's history, but for college football history. But in terms of like OU, this move, I see this up there with basically once the OU administration and leadership got together uh, towards the end of World War II and decided we need to basically give this state something to be proud of. We need to give this state something to shed the skin of the uh, stigma that was left by the Grapes of Wrath and the end of the Dust Bowl era of Okies moving west to California and how it was kind of seen as uh, just bad to even try to stick it out here in the state of Oklahoma. Let's give them something to be proud of. And so basically that just kind of turned into we are going to pay every single 28, 30-year-old Army, Air Force, Navy vet who just got back from the war to come play football at OU. And that really jettisoned OU into becoming a blue blood because basically since from 47 on, OU is the winningest program, uh, the, one of the best programs up there with Alabama, of course, because of their last decade. But um, I see that as a monumental kind of moment in OU history. The wishbone, of course, moving to the wishbone in Chuck Fairbanks is what, his third or fourth year as head coach with Barry Switzer as the offensive coordinator, and we all know what that meant. Three national titles were won with the wishbone offense. And of course, OU and Georgia's lawsuit, which has kind of been in the news as of late for obvious reasons. And then you can put some other like minor things like OU adopting the air raid with Mike Leach, because look at college football today. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that has more to do with just the X's and O's and the football played on the field. I would probably say that the world, 
late World War II, end of World War II decision by OU's administration is probably more akin to what OU is doing right now. But I just wanted to basically get your thoughts, your general thoughts on the move to the SEC, what it means historically for OU and how it kind of compares to the other things from the past. Yeah, you did a good job uh, summarizing the history of OU football and the impact that it's had on college football at large. Uh, One thing I'll add to your list is uh, Barry Switzer integrating to a large degree the blue blood, the upper level of college football. USC, I think, was first out in California, you know, different different values, different mindset in California. Barry Switzer was the first that brought it to, and Bob Devaney to a large degree as well at the same time. And I speak for Barry Switzer here on, on in kind of proxy for Chuck Fairbanks. He was the guy who told Chuck Fairbanks, we need these players to be able to win. So uh, Chuck Fairbanks gets, should get credit for it. He was the head coach, but it was Barry Switzer that was the, the heart and soul, the mind and the guts of going into the South, going into deep Texas and recruiting black athletes. That is something that gets way overlooked in the history of college football because yeah. up until that point, Alabama was all white. All the powers in, in, in the South were all white. Um, Penn State, I think, was still pretty much mostly white. You know what I mean? The, the big heavy hitters, Michigan, had done a good job of integrating Ohio State. But again, those are different parts of the country. Texas was all white at this time. And uh, it was Oklahoma that came out and, and Nebraska as well at, at about the same time and won national championships, won big high-level games with black players. And that helped move the, the thing forward. That helped Alabama see, hey, Alabama was in a little bit of a rut at the time uh, with an all-white roster. And so that helped move college football in the South for sure forward into the next century. And that that's obviously a huge thing. Um, but if you're talking about Oklahoma on the cutting edge, you're talking about Oklahoma going out and, and changing the face of college football, you're right, World War II, 1984, not the George Orwell 1984, which I just put on a bookshelf last night, by the way. But 1984, the seriously, I did the uh, the the lawsuit, uh, NCAA versus Oklahoma Board of Regents. Georgia joined in that, changed the face of college football, deregulated television, um, media rights to where everybody could get their games on TV, and then and then immediately we had remember Jefferson Pilot Network. And, uh, you know, smaller regional networks like that started showing games. Well, ESPN came along, got big enough, gobbled that whole thing up. And now we're seeing 30 years later, 35 years later, the remnants of that fallout, that enormous Supreme Court case, the OU took it to the Supreme Court and won. We're seeing some of the remnants of that. It's like a hurricane hits the coast, right? Well, a couple of days later, there's still bands of rain circling around we're seeing the bands of rain right now. And that is ESPN coming along saying, we want a super conference. The SEC is the big dog. We want to see Oklahoma and Texas in it. Now we're starting to hear, uh, continuing, I should say, to hear over the last few days, Florida State wants in. Yeah. Really? I thought there was a gentleman's agreement. Uh, (laughs) Clemson wants in. In South Carolina, I thought there was a gentleman's agreement. You know, Ohio State is looking. Notre Dame would make a great property. All of a sudden, you're looking at 20 teams. What reason do we have to even have an NCAA if you've got a 20-team SEC and what looks like it might someday possibly evolve into a 20-team Pac-12 
with Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, that kind of thing. This is landscape shifting, seismic shifts, Brady, in college football. And, and we've seen Oklahoma at the forefront of it throughout history a number of times. There, it seems like Oklahoma is always on the cutting edge of that. Yeah, and I'll um, I'll give Lee and Grant Benson over at the West of Everest uh, podcast their latest one from last week. I'll give them some credit on this because uh, Grant did a good job of articulating this because it was something that I was thinking of. Uh, but in terms of what you were talking about with the remnants of that lawsuit in 1984, um, I don't really watch ESPN anymore. Uh, I just, you know, I cut the cord. I have YouTube TV, so I can watch it. I just don't watch TV that much anymore unless there's an actual game on. Um, but I'll watch like YouTube clips or whatever, but I did kind of catch like some ESPN coverage, um, of, Oh, like the announcement that Oklahoma and Texas, or just the report when it came out that OU and Texas were moving to the sec. And I did kind of come away going like, man, they, they seem like very behind this. They seem very slow. Um, like they're talking about stuff that we've already, that we already know, like on Twitter that we already know from other publications, from other outlets, why is ESPN so slow? Oh, it's because they're probably involved. And I, I think what the SEC and the ESPN are trying to do, you know, when you're talking about what is the point of having NCAA, and this is something that, that's been discussed as well, it's just I think they're just trying to bankrupt the NCAA is use the Cold War, uh, the Cold War strategy of, hey, let's go bank. We can't really win a con- well, I mean, nobody could win in a conventional war between the United States and the USSR, but we can bankrupt them with capitalism. And that's what we did. And that's what I feel like the SEC and ESPN are really trying to do. And it kind of takes us into this somewhat scary, unknown future in that uh, super conferences will reign supreme, TV money will reign supreme. Um, how much of that will actually influence the game is up for discussion. But again, like, it kind of comes back to Oklahoma being at the forefront of it. And uh, like, even though 10 years ago, the big 12 didn't die, but it was put on life support for another 10 years. Of course um, it, it didn't seem as monumental for whatever reason. And maybe it's just because we got used to the big 12 as with 10 teams. Maybe it was just because the team that we're most connected to had the most success during that 10 year, this 10 year run, in the big 12, I can't really put my finger on it, but um, there is just something about this move that again, you have to put it on the Mount Rushmore of most important things to ever happen in OU football history. And I'm glad you, you uh, included the uh, integration of black athletes um, at OU mainly with Barry Switzer, but I mean, OU integrated with Prentice Scott in 57, 58, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and then began doing it on a, much grander scale after Chuck Fairbanks and, and Barry Switzer got in place. Yeah. Exactly. Um, this was always going to be the case. If you just kind of look at it from the perspective of where does the talent come from? It comes from the South, predominantly African-American yeah. communities. I mean, watch football. It's predominantly played by African-Americans. It's, it's, it, you can't not make that observation. Um, yeah, 50 but, years ago, that was not the case though. Exactly. But what was it 30, 40, 50 years ago, the sec was nowhere near the strength of the conference that it is today. And a lot of that was because Ole Miss, Alabama, LSU would not recruit the best players that played in their backyards. They would go to 
smaller colleges, all black colleges, uh, I mean, Mississippi Valley State, you know, those types of schools, or they would go to other schools that were willing to take them on, like in Oklahoma, uh, like a USC, like you mentioned. So, uh, but once those schools kind of got wise to no, they're human beings and they deserve an opportunity to play because they're just, they're really good too. Um, once they got wise to that fact, and they started building inroads in their own states and their own backyards, it was always going to go this direction. So this isn't something where, because I've seen this kind of talked about too, if OU had done this or if they'd won this game, they could have stopped the SEC hype train from really taking off like 03 LSU. Uh, maybe, yep. maybe if Bob had taken on Cam Newton uh, when he was looking to go to either Oklahoma or Auburn, maybe that could have helped stop this he SEC just, train. He, just, he wasn't in the budget. It wasn't in the budget just yet, you know. <laughs> to, rec to recruit a quarterback like that, it just wasn't in the budget. <laughs> uh, but again, like I don't, I, I see this whole thing as inevitable uh, because that's where the talent comes from. They want to stay close to home. I mean, football players for the, for the most part want to stay close to home unless they're from California for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, uh, oh, go ahead, Brady. The, the thing that has really disrupted this. Number one, it's defense. We, we've talked a million times about the Mike Stoops defense in the era where the numbers just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It was like a stock market turned on its side where instead of going up, it's going down. It's like, okay, so at what point are you going to address this prob defensive problem situation? The problem has been Oklahoma loses in recruiting. Yes, they didn't play good defense. Yes, they weren't coached well on defense for the better part of a decade, but they lost out on so many five-star recruits, lost out on so many high-level four-star recruits that eventually decided, I'm going to go play in the SEC. They were recruiting nationally, even Lincoln Riley, recruiting nationally. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some big recruiting guru. I don't know all the names and I don't know all the years and I don't know all the rankings, but it, there's no doubt it's been a trend. A lot of upper-level recruits like Oklahoma liked what Oklahoma was selling, like Norman, like the history, like the coaches. But eventually, how are you going to get me to the NFL? It's by playing in the Southeastern Conference. The SEC produces more draft picks, more first-rounders than anybody. And you're seeing guys go to the NFL from the SEC at a, at a greater rate than has ever existed. Well, Oklahoma's missed out on a lot of those recruits because Oklahoma plays in the Big 12. And Oklahoma has fallen into the Big 12 trap of playing garbage defense for, the, again, the better part of the last decade. Alex Grinch has changed that. Lincoln Riley's changed that. And now Joe Harris and Joe C have changed that to where in the future, those guys are going to look at Oklahoma in a completely different light. You're talking about high school freshmen, high school sophomores <clears throat> who look at Oklahoma a certain way. Well, if I played offense, I'd go there. If I was a tight end, I'd go there. If I was a wide receiver or a quarterback, I'd go there. But I'm a defensive lineman. I'm a DB. I don't want to get torched week after week after week and not be able to play in the NFL. I'm going to go to the SEC. That has been happening. That's a real thing. And so this evolution of moving to the SEC, it's number one, it's the best way, is the, the most straightforward path for Oklahoma to win its next national championship. And I say that, and Phil Steele has picked OU to win the national championship this year, and a lot of people have, from the Big 12. I think we still, people who observe closely what Oklahoma's about, I think we still have our skepticism about, eh, is, this, is this Oklahoma team really on that level? Are they really going to 
because Alabama's got look at the blue chip ratio, right? Look at the number of five yeah. stars that Alabama's yeah. got. Yes, it's true. Alabama's breaking in another quarterback, but guess what? He's a five star too. They've got so many more four star and five star players than Oklahoma does over here. That's where you know your your skepticism lies. Now, in the future, when Oklahoma has that little SEC patch right here on the shoulder, and there's a big old at the 35 yard line, there's a SEC logo. Those recruits that have been saying, no, I ultimate, I like Oklahoma, but I want to go to the SEC. Now they can say, I like Oklahoma and I'm going to the SEC. Yeah, and that, that's right. And I would say to, I mean, to, to that point that you just made in terms of like this team moving forward. I mean, sure. Like I understand like that one inexplicable loss, like when's it going to happen? Cause we, we, we've seen this movie before. Um, and the blue chip ratios, of course, I mean, that's real. Uh, you want to increase your margin for error so much so that you just overwhelm people with talent. But I mean, I would say real quick for this team, just a little bit of a push uh, pushback. Oklahoma is at the point now where they're just they're past that threshold of, yeah, they may not have the BCR of an Ohio State or an Alabama or a Georgia, but they're at the point now where the BCR is spread across their team and they have the depth that. Uh, they should be in a game where there's no excuse or they you go into a game and, and and you don't think, oh, please, God, just get one or two stops a quarter. Like, it's just kind of like let the best team win at this. OU is at that point now where if they get to the playoff, obviously they're they've navigated their schedule and they're clearly good enough and they're worthy. You just go into a playoff game or a national title game and just say, let the best team win. And that's where OU fans have kind of wanted, because in 2017, it was please, God, get one or two stops a quarter. 2018, it was please let Alabama overlook us just a tad, you know, maybe, maybe some magic can happen, but now it's, you don't have to pray for magic. I I don't think with this team now that doesn't guarantee anything, but I would say that that, that kind of speaks to where OU is and how far they've come. But uh, with the recruiting aspect, and this has of course been one of the more discussed topics in terms of OU moving to the sec. And I understand, like, I agree with it. It's going to help OU win some recruiting battles that they have otherwise lost, but like Keegan and I have said, like we're, they're not going to get Louisiana kids out of LSU with consistency. It might give Lincoln Riley more of a desire to, well, I'm going to go try and you know, I'm going to go try and uh, get, get into that fight. Um, and at the same time, maybe build some inroads with some Louisiana uh, coaches in high school just by trying to recruit them. And you might not win a kid this go around, but because you set up those relationships now, because you're not afraid to walk into the state of Louisiana now that you're in the SEC in the future, you might win a kid down the road. So that's how I think you should look at recruiting. But I mean, I'll say this, you know, kind of bringing it back to the historical perspective. OU's really never been a recruiting juggernaut. They've, they've got great players across the board every single year, every single decade, every, every single, uh, era of OU football. They've got great players, but OU has never been a Texas. They've never been a modern Alabama or a modern Ohio state in terms of every single year. They're a top five class every single year. OU has been the blue blood that has, I don't want to say they've done the most with the least because I mean, OU is still close to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could have said that in the nineties, you could have said that about Nebraska because they're not close to the state of Texas. They're not, they don't have a lot of in-state talent even more so than i mean i i'm not going to sit here and compare oklahoma high school talent to nebraska high school talent but they had that walk-on program so who cares uh but at the same time historically speaking oklahoma just they get their guys they'll get their five stars and i know we're 
there were no such thing as five stars back in the seventies and sixties or whatever, but they'll get their share of great players and they do the rest with development and just having good college football players, not necessarily players who go on to have long careers in the NFL. They just have great college football players that work well, that play well for the university of Oklahoma. And they're not going to turn into an Alabama recruiting wise in the sec. I don't think so because there's yeah. no, there's no historical precedent for OU to do that, but that doesn't that's, mean that, that's, that's just it. They don't need to be Alabama. They don't need to have seven or eight, five yeah. stars every, every year. They do do the most of every, of all the blue bloods uh, to me, they do do the most with the least amount of recruiting access, recruiting talent, recruiting acumen, whatever you want to say. And just look, here's the fun part. Consider the last three Oklahoma quarterbacks who won a national championship. Think about that. Steve yeah. Davis, who started out his career seventh on the depth chart. God, Steve Davis was the third one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Jamel Holloway, who was an, a wishbone guy when Switzer was trying to kill the wishbone, right? He was, he was an elite high school wishbone quarterback back when high schools still ran the wishbone. You wouldn't touch a guy like that today. And then Josh Heupel, Mr. Aberdeen, South Dakota, through Snow Junior College, that the only person on earth who knew he existed was Mike Leach, and you stumbled into that, right? Yeah. Because you were bold enough to, to say, Mike Leach gave us fits when he was at Kentucky. I want to hire Mike Leach. Oh, Mike Leach, and I was this left-handed quarterback in, in junior college. Nobody knew who he was. That's stunning. So uh, since then, uh, Oklahoma has recruited five-star quarterbacks. They've recruited, you know, they've, they've landed guys like Jalen Hurts, who was a three, you know, two-year starter and a big-time guy at Alabama, right? I mean, Landry Jones was a high four-star in Artesia, New Mexico. Blake Bell was a four-star, five-star. Uh, Trevor Trevor Knight was a, you know, fairly high recruit. He wasn't a, a big, you know, priority five-star guy. But think about that. All those quarterbacks that they've recruited. And the ones who came in with such little fanfare are the ones who won national championships. What does that tell you? Tells you good quarterback play can be hard to find. Also tells you that good quarterbacks need good players around them. And when you've got a good secondary, when you've got all pros coming out of your, you know, like Ricky Dixon coming out of your program, Brian Bosworth coming out of your program, guys that are Tony Casillas is another one from the eighties guys who were, you know, not the world's, now Bosworth was, but guys, other guys on that team who were not the world's greatest recruits became great players at Oklahoma and went to the pros and had a 10-year pro career. Some of them did. And those teams won national championships at Oklahoma. That's what this, whoever the quarterback is, you know, whether it's Spencer Rattler in 2021 or Caleb Williams in 2023 or Malachi Nelson in 2025, five-star quarterback play is great, wonderful. Nobody would turn it down, but Man, where is the depth? Where is the defensive line? Where's the linebackers? Where's the DBs? You know, that's yeah. what Oklahoma's got to get back to recruiting is those positions that can help those quarterbacks become legends. Exactly. And yeah, again, like the SEC patch is going to just help on paper because it's OU's, you know, battle to lose in terms of recruiting. It's just going to help their increase their margin for error where if they have a coach that is full on, like we got to recruit 24 seven, it's a 24 seven job and it, it's Lincoln Riley still, you know, for all we know, he could bail after this season. You know, we have no idea how long he's going to be at OU, but uh, if he's here for the relative long haul, 
you have the expectation the recruiting is going to be top notch in terms of it just being, you know, top 10 SEC yeah. might help that a little bit. It just helps increase the margin for error to the point where kind of what I was saying earlier that you just kind of go into a big game against a quality opponent and just say, let the best team win, let the best uh, strategy, uh, let the best strategy win, let the best players win. And that's where OU fans, I think, want to be. They don't want to be in a place where you're at the table, but if you're going to win, it's going to be because a miracle happened. Yeah. Sooner Magic yeah. is great. You don't really right. want to rely on Sooner Magic. You want Sooner Magic to just kind of like save you <laughs> at the at the last second, like against Nebraska. Absolutely. Do, doesn't think about the quarterbacks I just listed off. Doesn't Baker Mayfield fit on that list? Yes. You know, Steve Davis, seventh string. Wishbone quarterback, you know, everybody's getting away from the wishbone. Left-handed southpaw from from junior college. Nobody wanted him. Baker Mayfield, two-time walk-on. Bob Stoops didn't even know who he was or, you know, oh, good, good to meet you. Okay, you know. <laughs> that 2017 team should have been Oklahoma's next most recent national championship team because, they, you know, obviously you, they, they, should have, they should have beaten Georgia. And then what did Georgia do? Georgia should have beaten Alabama. Those two things, neither one of them happened. But that Oklahoma team was equipped to win a national title, and we'd be talking about Baker Mayfield right now if they'd won the national title. Is you know, I mean, I know a lot of people have him up on that pedestal, St. Baker, but think of if that team had gone on to win those two games. Man, what people yeah. would think of him. Yes, John, there are a lot of players in recent history that probably should have won a ring and would have won a ring – at another school because, you know, a player like Baker Mayfield wins a championship. He just didn't happen to win one at OU. But I know you don't know this because you're not on the Patreon page, but I'm on a cleanse. I'm on a Mike Stoops cleanse until kickoff. Uh, I will not go any further on bitching and moaning about any Mike Stoopsness. So I, good for I, your mental health. Yes, I've got 33 days left. So <laughs> <laughs> now the SEC thing is like really helped that because it, it started, I was doing it for a week and then the Houston Chronicle report dropped and it was just like, nothing matters yeah. from the past right now. <laughs> but um, I guess, you know, from somebody who appreciates the history of the game and the history of the program going forward, um, of course, avoiding this season because it's the big 12. OU is here to win the big 12 championship first, you know, not the sec championship. They're, they're supposed to win the big 12 championship this season. There's a um, season to play. I know. I, I can't believe it. I really can't believe it. Um, but past this season, for all we know, if the SEC happens next year or in two or three years, who, who knows? But, I mean, how how exciting is it that while I do kind of lament that 100 years of history with programs like Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, OSU could potentially be just thrown out the window. And, yes, OU owns all those records and – it's not like they're walking away from very competitive series against those programs, but it's still a hundred years almost of history. Yeah. Um, OU's going into a new conference to start new histories with other programs. Now I'm not going to count A&M and Missouri because I think it's so cute. I mean, I think Bob Stoops said this on the uh, big noon kickoff podcast last week about how, well, we're 25 and nine against the sec since 2000. It's like, okay, are you including Missouri and AM when they were in the Big 12? Like, don't, like you actually, like OU actually has a very nice record against the SEC, even if you don't include them. So you don't have right. to. You don't have to yep. say that, but um, you, they don't have a history with Ole Miss outside of the one game in the Independence Bowl. They don't have a history uh, with a Kentucky, with a Tennessee outside of a few games here and there, some classic games against Tennessee, but nothing really consistent. 
Um, you would think that they would have some type of history with Arkansas, but before after 1940, they only played twice, I think, or three times. The both Orange Bowls, one in the 70s that they Arkansas won, one in the 80s OU won, and then the Cotton Bowl in 2001 or 2002, excuse me, the 2002 calendar year. But um, they don't have a history, even with an Alabama. They've played, I think, six times. So it's just, it's a handful of helmet schools, a handful of great programs that OU is now going to be creating a history with. So that to me is exciting. You know, I'll put it this way. Um, my first two years as a college football writer uh, with the Tulsa world, my beat, my everyday beat, like I cover the Sooners right now, was Arkansas. My first two years on the college football and college basketball beat was the Arkansas Razorbacks. I got to know Danny Ford, Houston Nutt, Nolan Richardson, and those guys, right? And this was in the, the uh, what we would call the salad days of uh, newspapers when, you know, things were great and they were basically printing money. And, uh, they, you know, they sent me all over to every city that the teams played <laughs> that covering games on TV or covering them over the internet was not a thing yet. And so we got on an airplane and we flew to Atlanta and we jumped on a connecting flight to Columbia, South Carolina or Gainesville, Florida, or, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I've been throughout the sec everywhere, except Athens and Nashville for a game. And I heard this news and I started considering Holy cow, Oklahoma's football games, road games are going to be in Tuscaloosa, Auburn, Starkville, Nashville, Fayetteville, uh, you know, Columbia, Gainesville. It's going to be incredible, Brady. Yeah. And what this does, how many times have, have we been as OU, in your case, OU fans, or in my case, OU media, how many times have we been to Manhattan, Kansas? How many times have we been to Lawrence, Kansas, and Ames, Iowa, and Lubbock, Texas, and Waco, Texas. The fan base has lost its passion for traveling and for going on the road and going to those games. They love the Sooners. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of, oh man, let's, this game's in Baylor. Let's go to Waco. Who yeah. does that? Yeah. Nobody does that. Nobody. And that's, I'm not trying to slam Waco. I'm just saying, just like you guys have gotten tired of coming to Norman every other year, when you have 10 teams and you play a round robin schedule and you, you try to put together a schedule that is fun, unprecedented, exciting, dynamic. It doesn't happen. The Big 12 lost that years ago. And so everybody in the Big 12, has been going to these same eight towns, nine towns every year for the past 10 years, 11 years, and before that on into the, like you said earlier, the Missouri Valley Conference into the 1920s. It's like moving to the SEC. You're, you're going on like a permanent vacation almost. And not just that, not just the, the road games. Let's think about the home games now yeah. where – 8,000 Alabama RVs show up on Friday night before the game. Game day That's atmosphere gonna is going to be great. Oh, it's going to be so amazing. And all those, I mean, seriously, when Kentucky comes to town, when Vanderbilt comes to town, South Carolina, people are going to get excited about those guys coming to town. It's going to be like that, that Joe Castiglione 
primetime premier non-conference game that he used to play one a year. It's going to be like that every week. Yeah. And people are going to be so excited. This is totally re-energizing the fan base. Yeah, I mean, OU's going it's I think I said to Keegan what a week ago. It's going to feel like OU is an independent or just playing a non-conference yeah, schedule for about 2 or 3 years because you yeah, have, at this point every year. Yeah. We have no idea how the schedule is going to, you know, lay out. We have no idea what the the conference is going to even look like in terms of divisions or pods. So it's going to take a while for OU to basically cycle through the rest of their opponents. Let's yeah. do some 14 pods, man. That's the only way to go with this thing. Yeah, well, Red Dirt Sport called it, and I didn't even think about it until he said it. It's like everybody thinks that four pods sounds great until there's three undefeated pod champs, and then it's just like, uh-oh, what do we do? Big 12, uh, SEC quarterfinals. Uh, not quarterfinals, SEC semifinals, and then you have a championship game. And then the playoff is just going to seem so like unless Ohio, it's yeah. like prime Ohio, unless it's like prime Ohio State and or USC comes back to like Pete yeah. Carroll level USC-ness, it's just going to be like, why do we have to play these playoff games now? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, the SEC is going to replace the NCAA. The SEC is going to make its own call. They're the original autonomy conference. They have the autonomy to do whatever the hell they want. If they want to play conference semifinals between four pod winners, have at it. Well, I also hope that you're not or i don't know I, I don't really know i don't know if you're looking forward to this john because uh you can you can be <laughs> i mean just kind of how you were uh like oh man all these potential road trips i mean are you gonna have to sit ryan and josh down and say okay we got we're getting road credentials and paid flights to all these games but only yeah. one's going and it's just gonna be me bye kids <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not doing those road games by myself. I'm going to need a lot of help. So, yes, it's true. Our travel budget has quadrupled by Oklahoma joining the SEC. Uh, may, maybe with all those SEC fans coming to our message boards, allsoonersforums.com. You guys need to get on there. Or maybe with all those fans coming on there, maybe our revenue will quadruple too. Because yeah. yeah. SEC fans are crazy. I love them. Are you going to call into Paul Feinbaum yet? Like, have you been asked to jump on Paul Feinbaum's show yet? I've been on Paul Feinbaum before. When I when, wow. I, wrote, when I wrote the column that uh, it's time for Bob Stoops to move on, time for Bob Stoops to go, uh, Feinbaum had me on the next day. Uh, so, but by I the way, where you're coming from with this, but uh, can't can't agree with you, John. And I'm like, that's fine. By the way, if you have that article still like laying around your house and you just don't want it, <laughs> if you want to just give it to me, I might I might frame it. <laughs> I take I take a little, you know, I took a lot of of flack for that. Um, you, you're an idiot because what they do they came back the next year and won the big 12 right but then you let history unfold and what do we find out a few years later bob stoops went to david Bourne and said i think i need to retire i i think i don't i don't have it anymore whatever it is right he yeah. he told barry trammell that that's the situation that he was he had been he placed himself in he didn't have that whatever it was that fire that passion that uh, edge anymore and he was thinking about retiring and David Bourne's like please God don't retire we don't have your replacement on staff yet but uh, yeah no I take a little I take a little comfort in that but I wrote that column I was the only one who took that stance and here the head coach behind the scenes was thinking the, the exact same thing I mean at the very least you just inspired him he probably like pinned that up on his uh, wall in his office and threw yep. dart, darts at it, and then they won the Big 12 the next year. So thank you, John, for helping out the school that I root for. I really appreciate yeah, it. Still, still waiting for my inspirational Big 12 championship rings. <laughs> <laughs> Five-star heart, John Hoover. Um, I, I last, last thing before I get you out of here, John, and like, well, I guess one more bullet point on the thing we were just talking about in terms of like the yeah. fan bases coming to Norman. 
I mean, did you ever notice this? Because obviously OU's big marquee conference game on paper is always like it's always played in Dallas. So OU fans don't go to Austin. Texas fans don't come to Norman. And if that were the case, there'd be thousands of OU fans in Austin or thousands of Texas fans in Norman, no doubt. But I mean, to me, it's always kind of seemed like obviously if Texas Tech is good in the Mike Leach era, they bring a lot of fans. Um, obviously, if Kansas State is pretty good, like they they bring a lot of fans. But to me, like the, the fan base that brought the most, maybe it was just because I had such lo- low expectations for them, was Iowa State. Iowa State travels. And mm-hmm. I think that that kind of puts into perspective one of the problems with the Big 12 in, in terms of OU's relationship with it. Like things are just, things were becoming stale. And what you were talking about a little bit ago about how OU fans had lost their passion for road trips to Waco or Lubbock. Yeah, like because I've seen that said in other ways about how OU fans don't really like traveling. And I don't always kind of argue, well, I mean, you can only go to Lubbock to watch OU beat the crap out of Texas Tech so many times. You can only go to Manhattan to watch OU beat the crap out of Kansas State so many times. And when you know you can just sit at home and watch the ass kicking for free and not have to worry about travel or paying money for whatever, you'll probably just stay home. That That's how I felt. I mean, there were plenty of times I could have gone to Kansas State or Ames, Iowa, and just thought, yeah. I mean, what, what's the point? <laughs> and, Getting in the car and driving to those places is very appealing. Getting in your car and spend, spending half a day driving down there, watching the game, getting a hotel room, or if the game kicks off at the right time, driving back. It's very appealing. There's no doubt about it. But where do OU fans travel to? They travel to Seattle. They travel to Miami. They travel to Notre Dame. They travel to Tennessee. You know, they travel to Alabama. They travel to places like that that are that they don't get to go to very much. That's what they're going to do. They're going to sell out immediately. I mean, like, like Foo Fighters. They're going to sell out their ticket allotment within, like, 40 seconds when they go on the road in the SEC. <sighs> Again, like, I, I feel dirty talking about the sec so much john because the last thing i did want to bring up to you was um something i put in the monday morning post on patreon through the keyhole um just to get it off my chest i'm seeing so much like sec 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 and it's like Mm -hmm. app it's like app sarcasm like the sec deserves to be kind of ridiculed and satired in that way because no one's going to crap on alabama no one's really going to crap on i mean LSU's won titles, but my God, like their their in between years are some of them are bad. You could be in for some of that for if you're Oklahoma. You could be in for a a couple of six and seven and six type years, a nine and three type year, and then boom, you win a national title. That's your trade off. Yeah, I I think I would just say because we have no idea what OU is going to look like in the SEC with an SEC schedule. Um, I think you can kind of say, historically speaking, OU will adapt. Like how I've kind of, the gear I've kind of taken is, OU will adapt because that's all they've done their entire history as a program. They've adapted to changing eras, changing styles, and they don't suffer losing for too long. Like they, the 90s were five bad years. They were just five bad years. It wasn't the entire decade. It was five bad years. The 60s were, I think, four bad years. And they had a random Orange Bowl victory in a nine and 10 and one season thrown in there just out of nowhere, but um, it's a program that adapts very quickly and doesn't suffer losing that much. But I think the years where OU's won the big 12 in this six year run last year, and maybe even 2019, you can kind of throw in there as well. 
they're not winning the conference in a year like 2019 where they're breaking in a new defensive coordinator who's coming in to reinvent the wheel. They're not going to win the SEC when they drop their first two conference games and look very lethargic yeah. doing so. Right. Like those years, yeah, sure, they might go nine and three, eight and four, and then have a quick rebound the following year with more experience and upperclassmen. But I, I don't see, I don't see six, and I don't see what like what LSU does. LSU's problem is just always they for whatever reason just hate modern quarterbacks unless they just walk onto their program or just not not literally walk on, but. Like Joe Burrow, just like, I guess I'll go to LSU because Nebraska doesn't want me. So unless that happens, like LSU is just kind of like talented, but they never have a QB. So I, I see OU as just, they're going to be fine. They adapt to everything historically. This is just going to be another thing they'll have to adapt to. Yeah. In, in the, maybe the timeline of college football, LSU has won more national championships in the last 21 years. Auburn has won more national championships than Oklahoma in the last 21 years. Florida certainly has, but I see Oklahoma being able to go. And I'm, I'd say this, you know, me, Brady, I'm no fanboy. I try to look at everything as objectively and empirically as possible. I see Oklahoma going into the, into the sec and quickly establishing itself within three to five years, establishing itself as the consistently second best program in the sec. And the question then becomes how long does Nick Saban coach? Who replaces him? Does Alabama stay in that number one spot? I think Oklahoma makes makes a solid argument in down the road, ten years, twenty years, whatever it is down in the future, of being one of the prime properties in the SEC. Can Texas do that? Yes, Texas can do that. Does Texas have a history of doing that? Hundred percent, no. When's the last time before two thousand uh, before two thousand five and the transformative performance of Vince Young? that Texas won a national championship like 1970. Yeah, Oklahoma's they, got a couple of three since then. So I just don't – I'm not saying it's not going to happen for Texas. Uh, what I am saying is it's much more likely to happen for Oklahoma to walk into the SEC and basically kick a lot of people's ass and say, we're the, we're the captain now. Um, yeah. And, and, again, yeah. you know, I, that you can make, a, make your jokes and roll your eyes right now, and you, and you should because Alabama is the king of college football undefeated undisputed heavyweight champion of the world alabama how long is nick saban going to coach that's the that's the big question yeah and if ou literally has to wait until 24 or 25 you know if they basically have to like see this out for the longest haul that could potentially happen like is nick saban coaching then at 74 like what is he yeah, exactly. yeah and if that's the case unless i guess technically if Dabo sweeney like is the heir apparent and they hired him away from Clemson, then people would argue that Sweeney is the best coach in the conference. Uh, but it's like, to me, I'm like, is he bringing Brent Venables with him? If not, then that's, little, that that's completely up in the Alabama. air. Little old Alabama. They didn't think we could win little here at little old Alabama. Oh, he doesn't God. have, he doesn't have that. Uh, he doesn't have that in his, in his pocket if he takes over for, for Saban. Oh God. No, like, like the, the thing I was going to uh, ask is like, if OU has to wait the longest and Saban kind of just retires because he just gets old, Lincoln Riley's probably going to be the best coach in the conference. <laughs> if he's yeah, still there, uh, of course. I, I, I can't disagree with that statement. And I, and I want to go back and say if Oklahoma becomes the, the number two program in the SEC or the, replaces Alabama as the number one program, I still say there's going to be lean years 
where they don't recruit well or their quarterback gets injured or something happens. Uh, who knows, you know, in college football, like Barry Switzer said, you know, things happen when you least expect them, right? Uh, yep. I think I caught that yep. on the last podcast with uh, with my nephew. That's they're, – they're still going to have lean years. They're, they're not going to run six straight or in 2021, seven straight SEC titles. That's not going to happen in the Southeastern Conference. But being in the SEC opens the door for you to win that next national championship a lot faster to me than being in the Big 12. Man, it's, it's still weird. It is still weird to talk about this stuff. It is. I know. And a lot of people, you, you get on the message boards or the replies on Facebook. We post our stuff in Facebook groups. There's a lot of OU fans who love OU. I got a, I got a, a very, very close friend and colleague of mine, a mentor of mine, who, who said, I'm, if they join the SEC, I'm done. I'm out. I'm like, what? I'm done with my – I hate the SEC. I hate the SEC. They, the, some people hate the SEC more than they love OU. That's a, that's your OU fan base. I yeah. didn't know those people existed. I mean, I I mean, I I kind of get where that logic is coming from. Like, I I don't fall under the I hate the SEC more than I love OU. I mean, it's the opposite. But I did like the idea of potentially OU being the team, along with I guess Ohio State, technically, of being the team that oh we're, we're we transcend conference, we transcend whatever box you want to put us in just because we don't have an SC patch on our jersey doesn't mean we can't recruit well enough and be win the title ourselves yeah. I wanted OU to because like one of the questions I'll, I'll ask our patrons or I asked our patrons of a few months ago was what's your ideal playoff run like you get two opponents who would do you want OU to win a national title against I I kind of said like it'd be great to do it against Miami and USC to kind of exercise some demons but a lot of people just said two SEC schools or Ohio state and an SEC school just to knock off the champ, knock off the big dog, because we all know that if OU gets to the playoff and beats a USC and beats a Miami, they'll be crowned national champs. We know how the media will react to that. Like at large, like, Oh, they didn't Alabama had a down year. They had a down year. Oh, you got to avoid the big dog in Alabama and like it devalue it to such a, in some degree, but, I do. didn't have uh, four first rounders on the defensive line that year and a, and a first round overall draft pick in the, uh, at quarterback. Clemson, yeah. Four Clemson, four little Oakland. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of understand where some fans are coming from with that way of thinking it. it again, it just, it feels weird. It feels kind of dirty. It, it <laughs> kind of, it kind of feels like we can't beat them, join them. Now that's not what it is at all. I don't think that's what it is at all because oh, you very well could oh, win. An- they're running off and leaving us. We have to keep up with them. That's what's happening. The SEC is running off and leaving the rest of college football, including Oklahoma, including Ohio State. Financially speaking, including Clemson and USC and all those other schools, the SEC is running away with the with the with the money with the bag of cash. Yeah, they got the, yeah. they've secured the bag, and everybody else is does like uh, maybe we should consider because what are you going to? What are you going to do, Brady? You're going to sit back and nurture Oklahoma State because you know you're you've had people in your family who also went to Oklahoma State and they cheer for the Cowboys and you cheer for the Sooners and you're going to be okay with sitting back and being on uh, being with those guys for thirty thirty five million dollars a year, or are you going to go to the SEC and make sixty million dollars a year and let those guys fend for themselves? 
that's that's what's broken about this is Oklahoma State fans think they should be still hanging on. Hey, but but Big Eight, Big Twelve, you know, Missouri Valley, hundred years ago, we we've got all this history. Oklahoma is watching as the SEC is putting on those big fat tires and and they're going to roll over everybody on their way out of town. Oklahoma's like, no, 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 no. We want to get on that truck. We want to get on that train. If if people are going to be rolling over somebody, we want to be the ones who yeah. are, ro- are rolling over the people, not getting rolled over. And that's, I mean, I'm sorry if, if you're, if you're, you know, Kansas, Kansas state, Iowa state, Oklahoma state, doesn't matter. The train is leaving the station. And if the tra- if there's not enough seats on the SEC train for Oklahoma State or whoever, you're going to get left behind. Oklahoma had to do what was best for Oklahoma. I just yeah. I can't get that I can't get that kind of what about us mentality. People, I, I can't you know in my head it doesn't it doesn't add up. I feel like people are having a hard time balancing competition in the bottom line because that's what I'm trying to grapple with even from myself, but I'm coming at it from an OU fan's perspective who's going into this going, well, this is good. Or as an OSU or a KSU fan is going into this, going into this thinking, well, this is bad. Uh, But um, in a weird scenario where, because like, oh, you did this for financial security and stability so that they can continue to play football at a high level. Like that's why it's not because of a competitive disadvantage. They feel like they cannot overcome. OU, like we've said, can recruit well enough and win a national title um, out of the SEC, they might, they may as well do it this season for all we know. Uh, but I think in a weird scenario where money is not the bottom line, let's just pretend that for whatever reason in this dimension, competition is the bottom line. OU stays in the Big 12. OU yeah, 100%. idealistically keeps their regional, geographical, and historical ties and just say, yeah, all the talents in the South, but we can get our guys in Texas. We can get our guys even in the state of Oklahoma, and we can recruit nationally. We can get the best quarterback in the country with Lincoln Riley as our head coach, and that kind of balances out maybe some of the pitfalls we have on the defensive line or um, the defensive backfield, and we can take our chances from there. May the best team win. But that's not the world we live in. We live in the bottom line world of it being money, and that's the reason why. We are not joining the SEC because – oh, we're losing recruiting battles to Texas A&M. That's why we're losing playoff games. No, OU is fine where they are from a competitive standpoint, I think. We'll find out a little bit more this season, but this is purely for money and purely for stability moving forward. Security uh, on the the, um, long-term front. And something that stood out to me about covering that Regents meeting last Friday, uh, Joe Harris and Joe Castiglione kept talking, especially Harris, kept talking about uh, or or kept bringing up referencing the Supreme Court, you know, basically coming out and saying the NCAA can't restrict um, education-based expenses for student-athletes. It's a fancy way of saying you can't can't, uh, limit their scholarship, the the amount of money you pay them, the amount of money they get compensated. They need this Lamborghini Um, to get to class, John. Yeah, it's a little weird for me, but being the dad of a college athlete, it's a little weird for me, I got to say. But he he also referenced several times the NCAA being involved in antitrust situations, not necessarily lawsuits, but I guess guess there were a few lawsuits on on various levels, various district courts throughout the past decade or so. He was he was very, you know, when you when you start talking about the NCAA losing its power and being uh, emasculated, basically, 
uh, by by the legal system, by the, the court of public opinion, by the, the law. And then you start, I've got this timeline here, Brady. Um, last August, ESPN launched the ACC network, right? Big 12 Yawn. was like, yeah, <laughs> no big deal. ACC network, big 12. Sure, we don't have our own network, but it's the ACC. How bad is it going to be? Then in December, ESPN comes out and tells CBS, oh, by the way, that one game a year that you're paying $55 million for, we're going to pay the SEC $300 million for that one game. $300 million the SEC is making from that one game a week. I said one game a year. I meant one game a week. Okay, those two things get OU and Texas going, hey, wait a minute. They got their own network, and then another network comes along and – is going to pay this other conference $300 million. Then in May, you look at the, the, the line of things, the succession of things that happened in about a five or six day span. Shocking. Okay. May 21st, the ACC announces record revenue, $497 million. Well, part of that is the money they made from the ACC network. Big 12, which doesn't have a network, is sitting there going, hey, wait a minute. Where's our money? Then in May 25th, which is four days later, the Lubbock Avalanche Journal reports that the Big 12 network partners are going to say, no, nah, we're not ready to start renegotiating with you yet. Yeah, but it's usually two or three years before. Don't, don't you want to start renegotiating it? Nah. Hey, what if we do a lunch at some fancy restaurant? Nah. You guys want to meet on the golf course? Nah. Can we do a Zoom? Nah. Right? I mean, the uh, Big 12 is getting told. Then on uh, May 26th, the very next day, the Big 12 announces its revenue for 2018, uh, 2019 fiscal year has dropped again for the second consecutive year. And then the next day, May 27th, Fox tells Joe Castiglione, yeah, we're going to kick off that Nebraska game that you've been working so hard for. We're going to kick that thing off at 11 a.m. All those things lined up and the Big 12, the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas looked around and said, Oh man, the, that's where college football is headed. This is where the Big Twelve is headed. We need to get out of this Mickey Mouse league. God, I, it, it's so weird to me because I mean, of course, the reporting has been like six months to even. I I think I've seen someone say for a year OU and Texas have been feeling out with the SEC. So I don't necessarily know where to go, but my brain is inclined to believe that surely. OU jumping to a different conference like the SEC does not happen just because Fox says 11 a.m. kickoff for Nebraska. And then Josie says, screw this, we're leaving. Like yeah. a, a decision like that should A, not be emotional in the first place or reactionary. So that kind of makes you think, well, this has been in the works for quite some time. So it's, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint what exactly was the straw that broke the camel's back. And people have pointed to the 11 a.m. kickoff thing. But I mean, it's got, it, it'll be interesting. There's going to be 14, 15, 16, 20,000 teams in the SEC, it seems like, in the next five to 10 years. Someone's going to have to play football at 11 a.m., John. Yeah. <laughs> what if OU gets their wish to join to switch conferences, but then we're, we're going to have to put you at 11 because Alabama wants to is playing at you know, prime time. They're Alabama. Yeah, it's going to happen, and it, it might happen <laughs> a couple of times a year. Um, that's just the nature of being in the SEC. You, you've got all these prime time, maybe I should say premier uh, kickoff games um and you've only got a certain amount of time you got to have some at 11 some in the middle of the day and then some at night that's how it's going to shake out you what you want though is for that to be spread out and it, uh, with oklahoma it was always 
hey, our best time is 11 a.m. Oklahoma, can you kick at 11 a.m.? Oklahoma's like, again? <laughs> That's not going to happen in the SEC because the Oklahoma was carrying the Big 12 nationally. In the SEC, you've got a lot of people that are carrying the, the league. And for the most part, I mean, OU playing road games in the SEC, this may not seem like a gigantic difference, but a lot of those games will be East Coast time. And I can't tell you how important that extra hour would be if OU was just for some reason in an East Coast time state. If they if they were kicking off at noon instead of 11 from somebody who tailgates home games all the time, that would make a world of difference. Just one more hour would make a world of difference. So from at least from a traveling media member's perspective like yourself, you know, you'll get a little bit of extra time to sleep that day, at least. I'll sleep at the uh, the hotel in, in uh, Birmingham or Atlanta or uh, Jacksonville, Florida, because uh, I'll be riding in on game day. <laughs> it's going to be hey, driving through the south is a lot of fun. It's always green. So oh, yeah. I can't uh, wait to tell the hotels in Lubbock, Texas. Stick it up your butt. Fare thee well. $400 a night in Lubbock, Texas on a Friday night. Who the hell do you think you are? That Oh, that made me mad. When the Big 12 hotel people started catching on, hey, every time Oklahoma comes to town, we get maximum capacity. No kidding, idiots. So you're going to start charging us $400 a night? So, yeah, that really, really ticked me off. I'd stay in Amarillo and places like that. Who wants to stay in Amarillo the night before a Texas Tech game? Ugh. That's yuck. John, I'm going to give you 15 seconds. OU winning a national title this year, go. Um, Phil Steele says yes. He's not crazy. Oklahoma can absolutely win a national title this year. The question becomes, can they make play? Big stage in the college football playoff. Can they win that first playoff game first? I say yes. I believe so, and I hope so. John, thank you so much for jumping on. It's always good to talk to you, as always. It's always good to podcast and do OU stuff with you. So hopefully in the future, um, if you're not busy, we can do this again because I enjoy it. You always make it fun, Brady. And from a video perspective, uh, if, if you guys are able to watch this video ever, we're in Brady's kitchen. It's amazing. I love being in Brady's kitchen. Got a little sticky oh, notes yeah. up here uh, <laughs> on the refrigerator. Got family photos. It's big time. Yeah, my uh, mixer in an ideal world would be upstairs because I have a loft apartment. It would be upstairs on my long table that I got just for podcasting, but it's the one mixer I have, and we do our Inside OU podcasts um, at a different location at Vanessa House, a brewery in Oklahoma City. And instead of just like having to lug it upstairs and downstairs, I just have it in a bag ready to go. So if I'm going to record a podcast over zoom, I just put it on my kitchen counter. Cause it's the one place that I have, like that I can kind of spread stuff out yep. downstairs. So yeah, like welcome to my kitchen, John. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> of course, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the inside OU podcast podcast realignment edition. We've got some other fun guests from other OU fo football podcasts uh, coming up in the upcoming weeks, along with more fan additions that we will have here and there as well. I still have some people in my DMs that I need to get some schedules out for you. I have not ignored you. I've just been weekends are crazy for me because I have to bartend and it was a busy, busy weekend for me. So apologies. I've not left you on red on purpose. We'll get to that at a later time and we can get that thing going. But Inside OU, thank you so much for listening through the keyhole. Look forward to our podcast tomorrow with Keegan. Tuesday, as always. And then, of course, Thursday for your regularly scheduled OU podcast experience for the Inside OU podcast. So once again, for John Hoover, Brady Trantham here, Boomer Sooner, everybody, and we will talk to you later.